0: Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Mira. She has Hashimoto's and suffers from digestive issues. In fact, she's had digestive issues for as long as she can remember. She's been trying to get to the bottom of everything, but not really getting help from her endocrinologist or her GI doctor. She really tried to take matters into her own hands then and started to research online. There was so much great information, but she found it overwhelming. There were so many possible supplements and so many possible tests. She just didn't know where to start. That is when she came to see me so that we can really dig in and solve her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about all of the issues Mira was dealing with. Join me on the show today to talk much more about this is Evan Brand, I interviewed Evan almost four years ago now, back in episode five, where we talked very in depth about molds. So if you've missed that episode, please make sure you go back and listen to that one. Evan is a functional medicine nutritionist. He's the founder of Evan Brand Functional Medicine Clinic and the host of the Evan Brand Show podcast. Evan, I am so excited to have you back here on Health Mystery South, Thyroid and Hashimoto's Revealed.
1: Nina, thanks for having me. I was actually listening to your intro. I really like your intro with all the music and it's got kind of like a, oh man, what was that show? Unsolved Mysteries. Like when I was a kid, that theme music would come on. That was kind of creepy, but I liked it. That was how your intro was. So I enjoyed that. That was cool. That was
0: the point. It was intentional. Thank you. (laughs) So I'm excited to have you back to talk more about digestive issues. And digestive issues is something that are so common in so many people, but especially in those who are dealing with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. And while I talk about digestive issues often on the show, there's so much there. And I think there's so much nitty gritty that a lot of people tend to just only brush the surface. So I'm really excited to dig in with you about everything else that it really relates to.
1: Yeah, we should talk about kids too. I'd like to go there because I don't know how much you cover that, but this is an important piece of the puzzle because as you and I both know, as parents, kids can have digestive issues and the pediatricians are not too helpful. And my pediatrician was actually more functional medicine oriented. And I still, not to brag, but I still outshined her in many aspects when it came to protocols. So if she were to throw a recommendation at us, it would just not cut it. So obviously we can talk about adults too, because generally you're not seeing Hashimoto's and very young kids. You know, we've seen it quite young though, maybe 12, 13 years old. We've seen antibodies present on blood. Maybe it all you've the seen, time, yeah. yeah, maybe in you've that seen, age, like, yeah,
0: not so much before that it's puberty that tends to cause that first flare up. I agree. Mm, yeah. Okay.
1: So I, I just want to give some airtime to children's gut health, because these are the issues that if you resolve now, you could potentially prevent these teenagers 20-year-olds developing Hashimoto's and other autoimmune conditions. And when we look at stool testing, there's a handful of the autoimmune triggering bacteria that we know have been linked to, not only Hashimoto's, but Sjogren's, RA, and many other related autoimmune conditions. So this would include Klebsiella, Morganella, Strep, Staph, Pseudomonas. There's a whole category on various stool companies. Uh, We like to use the GI map, and on that, you'll see different autoimmune bacteria And those also produce histamine. So a lot of women that have Hashimoto's, they may end up with histamine or mast cell issues as well. But if we could have found this and fixed it when they were six or seven or eight years old, their life will be so much better. And so I've been fortunate to see many, many children in my online practice from one year old with massive gut inflammation, intestinal bleeding, parasites, H. pylori, to three-year-olds that are now having speech issues and skin issues and reading problems to eight-year-olds that still can't ride a bike because they're full of mold toxin. And then if these kids go left untreated, by the time they're hitting puberty, they're going to have massive issues with anxiety, depression, chronic fatigue, weight issues, sleep problems, behavioral issues, attention and learning comprehension problems. So if we want a smart society, we really have to start focusing on these kids now and don't label them as crazy or you know, if you get annoyed with them, that's probably normal as a parent. But if you're seeing behavioral swings that just don't make sense, where they seem like they're having what we call a flare- where there's some sensory issues involved. They don't like their clothing. It's too tight. Mommy, I don't want to wear these socks. I don't want these underwear. I don't like the way this dress fits. So those things that seem a little weird, maybe into what you would think of as OCD, that could be related to this autoimmune attack on the brain, which could be PANS or PANDAS. And that could be driven by all these gut bacteria that we're talking about. And this dysbiosis can happen at a super young age, whether it was a C-section birth or a vaginal birth. I've seen it either way. Even summer, my oldest, when she was two, she had H. pylori, and I noticed her stool was not good. And if I wouldn't have treated her gut, she would probably still be suffering. Now, we also got hit with mold, we got hit with tick bites, and those things can be other big puzzle pieces to solving these cases. Many, many children go undiagnosed with Lyme, and they potentially got it from their mother through the placenta or they got it from their own tick bite. So, you know, you and I are recording this going into summer of 2023. And I've already had several emails, even just this week of people freaking out because they got bit by ticks. So this is a problem that continues to grow every year. And the CDC actually put out an article within the last month, actually admitting, cause you know, they typically downplay Lyme and co-infections, Always. but they they actually came out and said, look, babesiosis, which is babesia, an intracellular parasite that I've dealt with personally that it's on the rise and they talk about just how much increase has happened just in the last, I think it was five or so years. I'll see if I could pull up the article because this made me, this made me happy because this is like the forgotten illness in a way. These issues that, by the way, can affect thyroid. So here it was, this was a, came out this year in March, it was called trends and reported babesiosis cases. And Long story short, here's what they say. From 2011 to 2019, babesiosis significantly increased in northeastern states. So they talked about Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. And they go on and they go into the percentages. They're saying here U.S. tick-borne disease cases have increased 25% in 2011 to 2019. Now, people might get bored with the numbers, but here's the thing. These ticks could totally change your life. And many, many women that I see that have Hashimoto's, I think of Hashimoto's in their case as more of a side effect. Because then when we uncover this other stuff, I'm like, oh, so yeah, you do have these thyroid issues, but look what else you've got. You've got massive bacterial overgrowth. You've got tons of mold. You've got a leak in your roof because of a bad storm, or you're in an old house, or you work in an old moldy office building. Okay, so let's hit those. And then all the time we see antibodies drop. This is a side effect of fixing the other thing. So when I say, you know, I think of Hashimoto's as a side effect. That's what I mean. It's that these other infections, these toxins, those all lead to the dysbiosis, which then leads to the autoimmunity. So it's almost like this domino effect.
0: Absolutely. Evan, you are speaking my language. (laughs) One of the things I always talk about is the different triggers and how we support Hashimoto's is exactly like you're saying. It's we look at all the different triggers. And I think what's really important for people to understand is that we all have different triggers. So it could be Lyme for some, it could be dysbiosis for others, it could be ABV infection for others, it could be H. pylori. And a lot of people have multiple. So it's so common, like you said, to see. Bartonella or Babesia and, you know, say H. pylori and Provitella and something else and something else. And so the more we can knock out those triggers, the more that immune system comes and it doesn't have to fight so hard. doesn't have to be so inflamed. And then that's how we get to the root of that. So I love what you're saying there.
1: I want to ask you a question, just your personal thoughts on this, or if you've ever thought about it, what do you think about say the native Americans or just our our ancestors from, you know, maybe we go five, maybe we go 10, 20,000 years ago. I mean, I'm assuming all these pathogens have been around for a long time. And we've probably always had latent viruses, active viruses, latent bacteria, active bacteria. In the case of Lyme, for example, we know that the Ice Man, they found that old, uh, I think it was in the Alps, like a mummified man. And supposedly he had Lyme, he had Borrelia 5,000 years ago. But I think did they suffer in the way that we suffer? Like, yeah, they suffered in certain ways with lack of shelter, lack of food scarcity, that kind of thing. But but did they suffer in the way that, that we do, do you think, in regards to like depression, anxiety, fatigue, all the stuff that comes along with the autoimmunity? Or do you think this whole autoimmunity misery is a new th- phenomenon?
0: I think that it's fairly new, partly because of just the environment, right? I mean, even though they had their stressors then in terms of lack of food or shelter, which of course are big stressors. Those stressors came and went, right? It's like being chased by a tiger. You're not constantly being chased. So they weren't necessarily always in that sympathetic dominant state. And that cortisol constant increase of that and the constant elevation, I think just has so much to do with everything else and just elevates our whole system. When our nervous system is so elevated, nothing else is going to work. And of course, our food supply is so different, all the chemicals that we're exposed to. So yes, I think these bacteria and these infections were there, but we didn't have the 3000 or however many new chemicals every day, plus all of the technology and the EMF from a lot of that, they just weren't exposed to that. So I think that has to play a role. What do you think?
1: I think you're spot on. I mean, when I talk with my grandfather, he's in his 80s now. And his grandfather was totally healthy, grew up on like 350 acres. They had like 15 kids. It was an insanely large family back then. That's just how it went. And they lived off the land. And I have black and white photos. All of them looked great. They were thin. Their skin looked great. They had... Developed muscles. None of the men had man boobs. None of the men had beer guts. I mean, and they I were just—they
0: had straight teeth too.
1: You know what? I I couldn't tell because back then they didn't smile in the photos. You know, smiling was kind of like not a thing in old time mm-hmm. photos. They kind of smirk, <laughs> so you never know. But this wasn't so long ago that they didn't have processed sugar, so I don't know if they were like all the way back to the Weston A. Price level. For folks that don't know this reference, uh, Weston A. Price was a dentist. He traveled the world via ship and I believe it was the late 20s, 1920s. Yeah. And he visited all these different uh, tribal societies or also just societies that were kind of separated from mainstream civilization that lived up in the, the mountains and ate raw butter and raw milk. And primarily they did meats, they did eggs. And he was kind of the original dietary explorer nutrition explorer if you will but he was looking at it from a dental perspective and all these people that were on these i forget what the what what he called it but they're they're original foods not like man-made modern foods they all had perfect teeth perfect dental arches they had no cavities at all and then you look at these more developed societies and they had massive dental issues. It's a bit of a tangent, but-
0: Yeah, no, of course, of course. And I mean, thankfully there are shows like yours and mine where people can come and, you know, really learn about what they can do. And so, you know, I think when we look at gut and the health of our gut, that has so much to do with everything, including how our body's going to store fat and how things are going to work. So when someone- is having digestive issues, or maybe they're not having digestive issues, but just knowing they have autoimmunity, they know that they have to look at the gut and really support it. Let's start there. Where would someone start? So obviously, of course, the diet piece is really, really important. We've talked a lot about that before, but if they want to actually dig in and really see what's going on, I'm a big fan of stool testing. I know you are too. And so do you recommend that everyone gets a stool test or is there something that you would recommend first before that?
1: If budget permits and you can do an organic acids test as well, I would do it because the stool test is great. And just to be clear, the test that, that Ina and I are talking about, these are far better and more advanced than what your conventional gastroenterologist is going to run on you. They're typically doing an antigen-based test, which is about 20 years outdated, and it often misses infections. This could also Include breath testing in the case of SIBO or H. pylori, which may be good for some, but many clients that you and I've seen, I, I can speak this with confidence, they've already had those tests done and there really wasn't much there. Or if there was something there, the approach or the recommendation was conventional medicine like antibiotics, which would do further damage to the mitochondria, which would potentially worsen chronic fatigue. It would impair your ability to burn fat. So these women would now, with Hashimoto's, because of their gut bugs, they would now store more body fat and become more fatigued, potentially more anxious. Of course, that affects sex drive, that affects self-confidence. I mean, it's this big cascade of Mm -hmm. symptoms, right? And so what you and I are running are these DNA samples where they're far more sensitive. So we can look at the big slew of potential infections, like I mentioned earlier. So that's Klebsiella, Pseudomonas, Morganella, Staph, Strep. There's many others on here, citrobacter, parasites, worms. We'll look at gut inflammation. We'll measure microscopic bleeding. We can measure secretory IgA, eosinophil activation protein. So all these different biomarkers tell us what's happening internally with the gut. So someone may say, "Mm, have some diarrhea or constipation, but otherwise I'm okay. Well, that might just be the tip of the iceberg. But when we look underneath and we see there's six, seven, eight different infections and autoimmune triggers, we go, holy crap. We've got to hit this now. And if you don't already have Hashimoto's, you can develop Hashimoto's. I suspect a lot of women, they probably have Hashimoto's and they don't have a clue because they haven't run the thyroid antibodies. Exactly. And so, so they're people just. People
0: have hypothyroidism. And, you know, I run uh, a lot of challenges and I run kind of groups where we talk about these things. And I can't tell you how old people say, I've had hypothyroidism for 20 years, but I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's two years ago. Now, Did you just develop Hashimoto's two years ago? No, of course not. It was probably there along. It's the reason why they have hypothyroidism in the first place. It's just those antibodies aren't tested. It's TSH that's tested. Maybe if they're lucky, T4. If they're really lucky, maybe T3. And then the antibodies usually are something that people have to research and kind of get smart enough to ask their doctor. It's not offered. So I agree with you 100%. Yeah,
1: it's amazing to still see blood panels. You know, when people start with me, they'll send me their previous labs and I'll look And these labs are dated 2023 and there's still no thyroid antibodies on them. I'm like, really? Like an endocrinologist is still not testing thyroid antibodies? Come on, please. So please, you know, beg your doctor or just fire them because there's so many different websites that you can do now to order your own labs where you can order a customized panel. Now, if you break your arm or something, obviously go get help. I can't help you with that. But in regards to these underlying chronic issues, you know, you really need these deeper answers, which can come from the GI map and then the organic acids testing. The reason I love and hit the organic acids so much is because not only do you get a window into bacterial issues, but you can also look at candida, fungal, and mold colonization. So if you've lived, worked, breathed in a water damaged building in your life, you could have potentially become colonized where now you're growing aspergillus. That aspergillus suppresses the immune system and allows dysbiosis to thrive. So this is actually upstream of the bacterial overgrowth that causes Hashimoto's. So if you just visualize this, you're working in this water damage building, you breathe in the mold, suppresses the immune system. The analogy I've come up with is mold is like the bad guy at the back of the nightclub. He lets all these bad guys come in the club. They're tearing the place up, damaging your thyroid, damaging your joints, affecting your nutrient absorption, affecting your brain chemistry. And when we come in and we treat these bugs, whether this is conventionally with antibiotics or naturally with maybe herbal antimicrobials, we kick those guys out of the club. So maybe the thyroid antibodies will drop. But then if you don't fix the mold, therefore shutting that back door to the club, I see people relapse. And I failed time and time again. And I was like, well, why are these people relapsing? Like, why is everything okay with their gut? Thyroid's okay. And then they go backwards three to six months later. So then we rotate herbs again. Then we throw in some more thyroid support, some extra selenium and whatever, right? Just the standard functional thyroid stuff. And then they do better. And then they relapse again. And then I got sick with mold. And then I'm realizing like, oh crap, I should go back and test these people for mold. And so when I do that with the oat or the myco now, I see, oh, there it is right in my face. These people have mold. That's what led all this to happen with the gut. And then the gut affected the thyroid and then thyroid affected metabolism. The metabolism affected weight. And now you end up 40 pounds overweight and exhausted and depressed and you have no sex drive, and Your marriage is falling apart. That's how it all ends up because you were living in that house that had water damage. So to be able to see that visually has been pretty mind blowing for me.
0: Yeah. It's amazing how everything is so connected. It's just so important to look at all those factors because again, everything is going to be a trigger and some are going to be bigger factors than others. It's different for everyone. But if you miss one, especially like you said, something like mold, that it's going to come back around and around. So we talked about different ways in the stool test to test for gut infections and then some ways to do it in the oat let's talk a little bit about some of the best tests for mold. Um, You mentioned, you can see it in an organic acid test. You also mentioned the mycotoxin test. So for those who may not be familiar, can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Sure. And and I want to say one more comment about the oat, which is that it also looks into brain chemistry, mitochondrial function, nutrient levels, glutathione, amino acid metabolism, et cetera. Meaning we'll also measure how your nutrients are We're going to look at your brain. So if you are a woman coming in, you're anxious, you're depressed, well, we can have a window into that underlying brain chemistry issue that may be affecting that. And we can use specific amino acids to then improve your brain chemistry, giving you relief from anxiety, depression, while you're working behind the scenes to fix everything else. Because if you're just dependent upon willpower to get through a protocol, it's very difficult. So we try to give people this brain support to just help them mood wise. Because if you're low in dopamine, and guess what causes low dopamine? Well, many things, but there's a literature on this. If you type in okra toxin, which is one of the most common mold toxins and dopamine, it's been proven that okra toxin which comes from aspergillus mold, most common mold in a water damage building, that toxin that you breathe in damages the part of the brain that makes dopamine. And so when we see these people that have mold, almost always their dopamine is low. And we measure that on the oat. So these are the people that have lack of energy, lack of drive, lack of focus, lack of concentration. They get bored easily. We can, we can then basically spot treat that brain chemical temporarily and the tyrosine that we may use may also help thyroid. And so now we've bumped up their motivation and so their compliance is higher to stick to a dietary change, to stick to some supplement plan. We increase our success, which is better for me. By fixing their brain. Cause if I'm just like, hey, do this and this for thyroid, good luck. And I talk to you in three months, well, they're probably going to fall off the wagon. So, so, so that's one little other thing I wanted to add about the O, but, but in regards to mold, so you could test your home. It's relatively inexpensive. There's several options, there's one called the Hurts Me. I like Petri dishes probably better because Petri dishes allow you to look into different rooms so we could test your master and we could see what grows. So you could either do self-analysis for like three bucks a plate, or you could do like a lab analysis for give or take 30 bucks a plate. So let's say you put one in your daughter's room, put one in your son's room, put one in your master, put one in your basement, your crawl space, your attic. You can then start to hone in specifically on which area of the home may have more issues. Whereas if you're just taking these big old dust samples, you really don't know how to prioritize. It's the whole ecosystem of your house that's getting a bad score as opposed to just one part of the house. So I think it creates more fear when you're doing the other ones because it's like your whole house feels ruined and you don't know where to start. Whereas if you see, hey, only in the basement are the levels high, but luckily in my daughter's room, I only had four colonies of mold growing. It makes me feel much you know, better mentally because this idea of, your thyroid issue being linked to your home really freaks people out and they just get paralyzed. And so they either do nothing or they have a panic attack and that's not good for improving your thyroid or your health at all, because now you don't feel safe. And so when you and I were talking earlier about like sympathetic overdrive and our ancestors not dealing with those same stressors, well, think about how stressful it is every day to get a test back like that that says your house is basically condemned. Do you need to condemn it and move out? And here you are trying to raise children. And you're trying to take care of your health and focus on nutrition. And now you go to sleep every night thinking your house is killing you. That's incredibly traumatic. And so I would advise people to not get overwhelmed by this. I found it to be the most overwhelming health issue out there for me, you know, working clinically for over a decade now, I find the mold conversation really freaks people out far more than any other conversation. Like you could say, oh, your TPL antibodies are 2000 and people freak out. Yeah, justified. But when you tell them their house is causing their children to develop spectrum-like behavior, it's causing their husband to have irritability and rage and erectile dysfunction, and it's causing you gut issues and insomnia and hormonal imbalances and thyroid problems, now the whole family freaks out. So then it becomes a disaster and I've had to manage those cases. So please heed my warning take the information if you do these tests, but know that there are solutions. You don't necessarily have to take the house down to the studs. You don't necessarily- Thank you for saying that because
0: I think mold is such an unregulated field and there's people that are on both sides. There are people who don't think it's even an issue, which of course is not true. And then there's people on the other side who feel like, oh, if there's mold, that's it, it's done. And that's like you said, so stressful, but also unnecessary. So I appreciate you saying that.
1: My pleasure. I mean, it depends on the immune system. It depends on the- the quality of the home like how old is the wood is there lead paint that you're going to uncover too when you start digging into the walls I mean so it's 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 a case by case basis you need to think about what kind of insulation are you going to be exposing and like what are you going to do with the crawl space so some houses are salvageable some truly aren't and I just tell people look you got to just get out of there try to fix it and move but you know it, it's a one on one case so so just know that the fear and panic won't help you. That's really the message. But I do think you should proceed with those. Stool, urine, and then some environmental screening would be a great idea.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really great place for people to start. Let's just talk a little bit about protocols um, when it comes to that. Because, you know, say someone has a bacteria and maybe they have a parasite, um, you know, and then maybe they have a lot of inflammation in the gut. And of course, it's best to work with someone who can really fine tune things for them and really customize. But if someone is maybe trying to just embark on this on their own um, as they're looking for a practitioner or, you know, I know a lot of us have wait lists. So sometimes they just, there's a little bit of a waiting period till they get in. Are there things that they could do on their own as they discover this just to get started?
1: Yeah. You're talking like the whole mold gut issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, binders are easy and safe for pretty much all of humanity and probably necessary for all of humanity now in regards to the slew of toxins chemicals pesticides mold etc you know what's I've your tested favorite it. binder mm, well i've got one coming that'll be mine so mm. it's a secret recipe uh, but that one's not out yet so for now the gi detox i really love and we carry that one and we sell a lot of it the gi detox is a blend of zeolite charcoal silica pectin and fulvic or humic acid and so this is great because it'll mop up different toxins. So the zeolite can be used for heavy metals. So lead, mercury, cadmium, arsenic, aluminum, etc. But the clay, so zeolite specifically, is incredible at binding to a highly estrogenic mycotoxin called xeralinone. And think of it like zebra, so xeralinone. Xeralinone comes from the mold called fusarium, and fusarium also grows in water-damaged buildings. And so xeralinone really screws up female hormones, Think infertility, miscarriages. Xervilinone is a massive teratogen. This will affect the fetus. And I see it all day, every day. So lots of women are walking around with this stuff in them. And it's highly estrogenic. So this is going to- Can you test for it? You can easily in the urine. You can measure the growth of it on the oat test. And then you can measure the mycotoxin in the urine. And uh, zeolite clay happens to be great at binding to that. Now, charcoal can be good at other things. You've got fulvic and humic acids that are good at different things. You've got uh, Cheeto sand, which is another type of binder. You've got bamboo. So this whole blend idea is great. That way, if one particular toxin is bound by a particular nutrient, that the other ones may clean up other stuff. So I don't ever just use charcoal by itself. I just think it's too generic. And then also probiotics can be helpful. So we use specifically low histamine strains of bacteria because a lot of the Hashimoto's females, they often have histamine producing bacterial overgrowth. And so they're already having like food sensitivities and all kind of mast cell issues. And so we will use probiotics, which have been shown to actually convert mold into something less damaging, which is kind of cool because, you know, for years I thought, well, let's kill the bugs and then let's reseed with probiotics later. No, now I'm doing probiotics right out of the gate and it's very well tolerated if they're low histamine strains of bacteria.
0: Yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? Just because Mm -hmm. I'm not sure everyone knows what some of those strains are. Can you just Mm -hmm. tell everyone a few strains that are high histamine and a few that are low histamine?
1: I've got a, a blend it's called ProBio50. There's other professional competitors out there, but I reviewed this on the podcast with Dr. Tanya Dempsey, and she's like the mast cell guru. And I had her look at this because I don't even know all of the strains and the different histamine, you know, compounds or the, what would be more aggravating to a mast cell person. But she looked at this and she goes, this is a great low histamine blend. And I said, well, why do you think that? So supposedly the two most potent ones in a formula like this, bifidolactis, lactobacillus acidophilus. Apparently, according to her, at least I haven't d- dug into PubMed. I kind of just took her word for it and ran with it because it sounded cool. But mm. apparently these would be considered low histamine. I believe the strep strains, you know, how certain bacteria, certain probiotics you see like uh, like certain strep. Yeah. So those I believe are going to be in the high histamine category. We could probably pull something up on this, but this blend is, is what I've used and I've used it in the most sensitive people and they say that it's okay whereas like a spore based product i've had some histamine people react to. Them. Yes, so,
0: i have too. A spore based seems to work for some really well, especially those who have SIBO, but for others they really really react. i think it's just their their biochemistry just doesn't work.
1: I was trying to see if there was a list. I mean, you can find like low histamine information, but if you type in high histamine, you can't really find it. So maybe i need to interview Tanya again and ask her, Hey, which one is, is a problem?
0: We can also ask Beth O'Hara. I had her on a Mm -hmm. couple of times and uh, she's another histamine expert. So she probably would have those strains as well.
1: Yeah. Beth is great. So, but the long story short of it is, okay, here we go. This is an article here. We'll give a shout out to who this is Ascent to health. This is Lindsay Christensen. She's got some good credentials after her name. She has a graphic here that we're looking at. Supposedly here, histamine-raising probiotics to avoid would be like Ruteri Helveticus, and then strep. That's what it was. The thermophilus. The streptococcus
0: are, thermophilus. Yes. Yeah. And then the root is really common in a lot of probiotic synergistic formulas. It's in almost every one, I feel like.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the cool thing though. And I talked to Tanya about that too, and this could get geeky. So we could do a whole hour on probiotics <laughs> alone and, and we won't. But she told me that as long as you've counteracted it with enough of the histamine reducing probiotics like mm-hmm. we have over here. So the bifido, longum, gum, bifido, lactis, Saccharomyces boulardii, lactobacillus remnosus. She said, basically it was like a seesaw effect. So as long as you had enough good guys on one side, then these quote histamine liberating or histamine producing ones, they would be counteracted by these other ones. So she, so, so you are correct in, in that being in a lot of them, but she would say it wasn't an issue because you had all these others. So don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what What else? Well, adrenal support, liver support. I love doing Like milk thistle and medicinal mushrooms, chaga and turkey tail, those can be great immune modulating formulas. There's some controversy about mushrooms and mold. I haven't found it to be an issue. Uh, Adrenal support, you know, I would say almost every female above age 40 needs some support with hormones in regards to adaptogenic herbs. So whether that's rhodiola or maca or shajandra, eleuthero, which is Siberian ginseng, panax ginseng, you know, any of these blends there's horny goat weed, there's tribulus, there's some more like pro-hormone type herbs. Those are really, really a game changer because these women just get beat down. They're beat down from children, they're beat down from their weight, they're beat down from their fatigue, their thyroid. And so these adaptogenic herbs help the body to deal with the stress. You know, they have papers on rhodiola, for example, probably one of my favorite adaptogens, rhodiola rosea this herb can help with temperature regulation issues. And so a lot of these females complain like, oh, I'm just cold all the time, or I'm Mm -hmm. having these hot flashes, or I can't stand the heat, right? A lot of them have heat intolerance. So going into the hot, humid summer, they may be afraid, like I'm gonna have to hide inside all day in the air conditioning. I can't enjoy my life. Well, an herb like rhodiola into your protocol, obviously still fixing the gut, still fixing the toxin issues, trying to fix your home if it needs help. But bringing an herb like that on board could help make it to where you could be out in your garden, and you don't feel like you're going to pass out when you stand up after, you know, putting your hands in the soil. And then that's a real story. You know, these women say, I'm, I'm faint. I'm woozy in the heat. Like, Pashimoto's is worse my ability to handle uh, the heat or the cold. And so that's where these adaptogens will come in and help you to tolerate those temperature changes better. So these are really how I design and think about protocols. I think about what can I do to make their life better now with the brain, with the gut, with the hormones, but then what's the one year plan to fix everything else? Let's get the house looked at. Let's throw away the old moldy clothes you bought at the, you know, vintage shop. Let's make sure all the chemical toxins are out. You're not doing candles. You don't have any synthetic fragrance in the house. You're eating as much organic as you can. You have filtered your shower water. You've hopefully got like a whole house water filter. So your drinking water is clean, but also your bathing water is clean. You're not off-gassing chemicals into your kitchen by using toxic dish detergent. Hopefully you're using clean dish detergent. Hopefully you're not using bad quality cooking utensils. Hopefully you're getting to bed by 10 p.m. Hopefully you're still trying to laugh and Maybe you watch some comedy, you listen to music, hopefully you still have somewhat of a sex life. If your libido has any spark to it at all, hopefully you can you can do that and you can kiss and hug your spouse so that you can feel loved and you can fill your love bucket. You know, these are all the pieces of the puzzle that I try to integrate because no perfect protocol will get you out of this alone. It really takes these other lifestyle measures. If you're just completely lonely, you just hate life, you hate humanity, but you've got a great protocol. I don't think that protocol will counteract the mindset.
0: Very, very good point. I cannot um, agree more with that. The mindset plays such a big role and we talk a lot about this, but I still think it's not talked about nearly enough, even though it's something that's becoming a lot more mainstream, whether that's how you you know, just sit with yourself in silence, whether it's other things you do, like journaling or reading things that are more positive, or just practicing affirmations or visualizations, all of those things are so important. And I think that, you know, there's people who say, oh, yeah, well, it's only months that's not going to do anything. I think. I just really love what you're saying about putting it all together, right? Because it's not one thing, but if you put it all together, that's when you're going to have the most success. So I appreciate you being here, Evan, and I appreciate your outlook. And I agree so much with everything you're saying. Now, for those that want to connect with you, where can people find you and how can they contact you?
1: Sure. I appreciate the opportunity. And clinically, if you need help, my site, evanbrand.com, has everything. I have a podcast. Ina has been on there. She will be on there again. And so you all can look that up. That's, 11 or so years worth of content. So lots of episodes there about all of this stuff. And we get geekier and talk about other things there. And I have some courses. If you want to learn how to read and run labs, I have a coaching course. So I've got a lot of, a lot of things cooking.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Evan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all this information. It's always such a pleasure talking to you, and getting your insight. And I love geeking out with you.
1: It's fun. It's fun. It's my pleasure.
0: As you just heard, while complex, there is so much that you could do to unravel the mystery of your symptoms by looking at some of the most common triggers, especially if you have digestive issues on top of autoimmunity, you really can't go wrong by starting in the gut. That's where Mira and I started. I ran a DNA stool test called the GI map, as well as an organic acid test, and found that she had quite a bit of dysbiosis, which is an imbalance of the different gut bacteria, as well as issues to actually digest her food. She had a lot of fat coming out in her stool. It was higher than what the ideal percentage would be. And so we started there, and I used digestive bitters, as well as something called advanced tutka by Selcor to help increase bile and help her to better digest her fats and her food in general. This helped a lot. And just a small change helped her stools not be as loose. And she had a lot less urgency as well. At that point, we added in binders. I'm also a big fan of GI detox, like Evan talked about. And I've rotated that, the GI detoxes by Pure, along with the biotoxin binder by Cellcor. As we started doing that a few weeks in, she felt even better. Less brain fog, more focus, better energy as well. At that point, we started using different antifungals and antimicrobials so that we can address the various infections in her gut she also had a parasite. So we needed to address that as well. So first we used a product called GI Microbex by Designs for Health. And then we layered in some oil of oregano and some Alimax, which is a really potent allison. It's a garlic extract, but what's nice about that one is it's potent, but it doesn't have a really strong odor and no one likes smelling like garlic or having those garlic breaths. So the Alimax is really good for that. We then used a product called fc cytal and Dysbiocide by Biotics. So we really addressed a lot of things in terms of the fungus and the bacteria. And then we added something called Para-1 and Para-2 for parasites, but we use those around the full moon because parasites tend to be more active around the full moon. So addressing it a few days before, during, and a few days after the full moon is actually even more effective. As we were doing this, she actually noticed a little bit of a detox reaction and felt temporarily worse. She had a little bit more gas than previously, a little bit more bloating. Thankfully though, that was very short-lived. It only lasted about a week, a week and a half because we had all the binders and because we were removing her bile, the detox reactions were not nearly as bad and went away pretty quickly. After we finished the cleansing portion, we've rotated in various probiotics. I like to expose people to as many strains as possible and I like to rotate probiotics. So we used something called Probiotic 225 by Orthomolecular as well as Probiomed 50 by Designs for Health. At that time, we also used a product called Enterovite, which is what I call a postbiotic. It's short chain fatty acids that really help to diversify the gut because the more diversification that we have in the good bacteria in the gut, the better we're going to balance our immune system and help to keep the bad bugs away. At this point, Mira was feeling so much better. Her gut issues went away completely. Her bowels were picture perfect, as she called it. She had no gas. She had no bloating. She also saw a drop in her thyroid peroxidase antibodies. She had better energy, and she lost 10 pounds. She was super, super excited. And of course, so was I. If Mira sounds like someone you know, can you please share this episode with them? And please be sure that you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode or a case. As always, when it comes to your health issues, please, please don't give up, and please remember that the answers are out there, and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time on Health Mystery Solved, Thyroid, and Hashimoto's Revealed.
1: All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.